Jillian would say, Squeezer! Oh! Until he quote, Hi, it's me, Aura Van Dank. I've got basically a black eye from this pimple thing under my eye. I'm not sure what it is. I'm gonna cover it with makeup in a second, which probably isn't good for my skin, but you won't have to look at it anymore, and neither will I. This week, I did something special. I interviewed Ms. Anya Mann, AKA Brandon Hilton, about his experience with this week's killer. So we have a little inside scoop on the crazy personality and personal antics of this insane person. Most of my information I got this week in my research was from an article on The Guardian by Emma Brox from 96, articles from The Voice from 1996, and I'd also like to take this opportunity to make a correction in my pronunciation of last week's episode. I named my favorite activist and pronounced her name wrong because I wrote it wrong. I spelled it R-E-E-N-A, it's spelled R-E-N-N-A. Kathy Renna is the activist I was referring to. There's her picture again, because she's gorge. And yeah, it's Rena, not Rena. I'm sorry. Many of us, well, probably, if you watch this show, have seen Party Monster with Macaulay Culkin about Michael Alec, the crazy club kid who murdered a person. And the murder ends up being like a side story in what's essentially the life and times of Michael Alec. If you haven't seen it, I basically just gave you a synopsis of the movie. It's kind of like a cult following kind of thing. It's not super great, I'm gonna be honest with you. It's not a great movie. Yeah. So let's not toot his horn because he is responsible for a brutal murder. The case ended up being pretty high profile because of Michael's celebrity status, I guess you could say, but only a celebrity because he was the king of the club kids, which meant he just did a shit ton of drugs and acted insane. That was his gig, that was his move. Michael got to this celebrity status in New York City because him and his entourage were largely the reason for the success of Peter Gation's church-turned-nightclub, Limelight. So when in 1996, Michael's roommate goes missing and rumors start to spread that Michael brutally murdered him, uh, most people were inclined to believe it, and it garnered a lot of attention. And most of the time, headlines would just say that a drug dealer was murdered. But this person's name, this human being's name, is Andre Melendez. So let's talk about the life and the murder of Andre Angel Melendez. Andre was born May 1st, 1971, in Colombia, like South America, not South Carolina. Andre and his family unit operated pretty closely. They were an intimate family. You know, they were together a lot. It was really family-oriented when Andre was young. After they had children, Andre's parents started working their asses off to raise enough money to work in an American citizenship and move here to America. They wanted to have better schools for their kids. They wanted to have, you know, the American dream. According to Johnny Melendez, Andre's brother, Andre was a really quiet kid. He was very shy. And he stuck, you know, it was, I'll talk to my brother, I'll talk to my mom, but I don't know about talking to strangers. I can relate. I was the same way as a child. It's called anxiety, boo-boo. Being that shy kid, even though he would socialize with his family and his brother, he didn't share very much about his feelings or his personal life or how he felt about his friends or school or anything like that. He was a very withdrawn child, even with his family. He didn't share a lot of personal information. He wasn't big on sharing information, at least. Andre was always really in touch with his creative side. He was definitely a really creative child and dealing with anxiety, being a creative, it's 
kind of like a constant stifling of your creative energy. Andre's parents and brother Johnny were always very supportive of him. They were supportive of his sexuality, they were supportive of his creativity, and even though he was shy and withdrawn, they it wasn't from a lack of support on his family side. By 1979, Andre's parents had saved up enough money to move their family to the States. By 1979, they packed the kids up and they moved to New York. And by the early 80s, that's where they were living, permanently residing in New York City. Stripping it down, Mama. It's hot. I have the AC on, I promise. From what I've gathered, Johnny made friends a little more easily than Andre did, as far as that dynamic went with the brothers, and Andre was kind of under the protection, the guidance, under his brother's wing in that sense. Being that introvert that he was, Andre had a whole lot of time to daydream, and he mostly liked to daydream about becoming this magnificent, gorgeous, glamorous, big creature person, club kid, that he called Angel. By the time Angel was in his 20s, it's reported that he got into the drug scene that was very popular in the time, the late 80s, early 90s, and it's reported that he started selling drugs and using drugs, namely ecstasy, ketamine, and heroin. These were the drugs that were getting really popular among the club scene. The nightlife is really where he kind of found his niche. He found his home among the nightlife where he could be unique and extroverted and be himself without really having to be scared of being different or looking different. If I had to guess and put a little psychological spin on it, I'd say that this was Andre's effort to kind of fit in somewhere because the late 80s, early 90s drug culture, you know, if you were dealing those drugs, straight shot to the top popularity, parties, all of it. While Angel was becoming more popular, among the nightlife club kids scene in New York City, there was another person getting wildly more popular at a much faster rate named Michael Alec. He was becoming popular more for his crazy antics, costumes, and ridiculous shit that he did, whereas Angel was becoming popular more for his eccentric makeup, the looks that he would do, the giant angel wings that he would wear, and obviously his accessibility to drugs. Michael was known to walk around limelight and tell people simply, open your mouth, and then he would drop a little hit of ecstasy or something under your tongue. That was one of the crazy things he did. He was also known to piss in people's drinks, like that prank that Mika did on that one episode of Little Women of LA. Michael also had a lot of popularity for having the reputation of being the founder, leader, king of these club kids who were a spectacle for New York nightlife. It was a thing to go to a club and see some crazy costumes. It was all drag, you know, all different kinds of drag. This is just referred to as club kids. There was people like Walt Paper, who did amazing looks, Amanda Lepore. There's so many different huge influential drag and queer culture figures that came out of that era. But Michael Alec gets a lot of the attention because of the murder and because he was known for pioneering this movement, if you will. Unlike the big cocaine craze of the 80s, late 70s and 80s that we were coming out of, the drugs that were being done among these club kids in, in public at these clubs were psychoactive, trippy, mind-altering drugs like ecstasy and acid. I mean, they were doing hardcore shit and it was causing them to be quite entertaining for other folks. And I mention that because those kind of drugs are far more likely to cause those not-so-fun things to happen, like drug-induced psychosis, crazy scary hallucinations, but there wasn't a lot known about these drugs that they were doing, and they were willing to try anything. 
And the place that these club kids called home, their church, so to speak, was a literal transformed church, the Limelight Nightclub, owned by rich guy Peter Gation. Who knows why he was rich? Who really cares? He was pretty fucked up too, so I don't. Limelight's on the corner of 6th Avenue and 20th Street in Manhattan. Now inside the church though, there was all the professional lighting, stage, fog machines, smoke machines, lots of drugs, lots of crazy party people. So on the outside, it definitely did not compare to what was going on inside Limelight. The club kids would meet there every weekend, essentially, and impress each other and themselves with the looks that they would serve and the makeup that they would give. It was very creative. There was so much creativity and art. It was like a living, breathing art exhibit that you could watch. It was performance art everywhere. So therefore, you can probably tell Andre Angel, at this point, felt right at home among all these people who liked the same things he liked, who had the same creative energy that he had, and who were just as passionate about being social and being in the nightlife that Andre was. So even when he'd go out in huge angel wings, silver hair, silver makeup, looking like a 28th century future robot angel, he didn't stick out, you know? He fit right in, and he didn't have to feel like everybody was staring at him. He got to feel like everybody was admiring his art because everybody else there was a walking art experience, just like he was. This glamorous angel that stood in the corner and sold drugs quickly caught the attention of Michael, who one, needed to buy drugs, and two, was very involved and wanted to know who was a club kid, what was going on in his universe that he created, and were they worthy of being in his inner circle. Michael didn't sell drugs as much as he just handed them out as gratis and did them himself. So Angel and he struck up a pretty lucrative friendship, I guess you could say, quickly. They became roommates and started buying and doing the drugs together, going to the club together. Essentially, they became club kid business partners. Along with Angel, Michael had another roommate, therefore Angel had another roommate, named Robert or Freeze Riggs. Robert, Michael, and Angel made up the like innermost circle of Michael's inner circle. I mean, obviously Michael made. Continuing on, I won't say things were great. I won't even say they were good. However, they were partying, they were doing drugs, they were dancing, and they were dressing up crazy and doing club kid shit, so something was going on. So time to get into business logistics a little bit. Mr. Peter Gation, the owner of Limelight, had Michael, Angel, and Robert on his payroll, essentially, for coming and promoting Michael's end, selling drugs, Robert and Angel's end. That kind of made up the business behind the business of Limelight. The drugs. Being high profile, very glamorous, in literally physically huge costumes, lit up down the street, they gained a lot of media attention and quickly became famous in the news, in the papers. They were famous in New York. That scene got crazy popular, crazy fast, and Peter Gation knew exactly what he was doing by getting this crazy fuck, Michael Alec, to be the poster child of his club kid movement. So you could say it was Michael's club kid movement, but Peter Gation was definitely back there pulling strings. Physically, mentally, and fucking spiritually, it was not going great. 
Michael Freeze, Riggs, even hallucinated seeing kids being locked in a drag queen's apartment. I'll talk about that in another episode, I promise. That's a wild story in and of itself. Things were getting intense all around, and Michael either stole drugs or cash, but whatever happened, he ended up owing $2,000 to Andre that he did not intend on paying. On top of the financial shittiness that Michael put Andre through, he was also just a bully. Angel had fallen into this crowd because of his desire to be accepted and because he knew that this was probably the quickest and easiest way to make a huge group of friends and be popular among those friends. He used to be heard saying things like, we only keep you around for drugs and nobody's your real friend, you're just a phony, you're just a fake, to Angel when they would fight and those were just low blows because he knew that that's what really bothered Angel. Of all else, it was the desire to fit in and be liked that he'd chase after. And Angel would sometimes share his dreams about wanting to become a filmmaker and produce his own films and make really cool art. And Michael would shoot it down, tell him he couldn't be anything, he's just a drug dealer. It, it was bad. He was rude and Angel didn't really have anywhere else to turn. On the night of March 17th, 1996, all three roomies are getting ready to go out to the club and do the normal gig. Michael's been heavily doing coke, other drugs, for days at this point. He's essentially on a bender and was heard a few days earlier angry at Angel saying, I want to kill him. I'm going to kill him. Nobody knows if it was just joking because he was on coke or what, but he said it and it was heard. So that night is when Angel confronts Michael once again for his money and that's when Michael says, we only keep you around because you have drugs. Obviously, this being what bothers Angel the most, a fight breaks out. At some point pretty early on in the fight, because Michael's a bitch, Angel ends up getting the best of Michael, and that's when Robert runs in with a hammer and beats Angel over the head with it three times until he, quote, went down. That's when Michael, in his drug-induced rage, decides to pummel Angel in the face with his arm wrapped in a sweater, or smother him, they can't tell because of how much damage was done to the body, but he was smothered and asphyxiated with Michael's bare hands and a sweater. At that point, not sure if he was dead or not because they are fucked up on drugs, they decide that they're gonna pour Drano down his mouth and duct tape it shut, strip his clothes off, and put him in the bathtub. As they sobered up, I guess they realized that keeping a body in your tub is not an option and it's just not realistic in a high-end apartment building in New York City. So Michael poured Drano over the body in an attempt to dissolve it, I guess. He thought that's how Drano worked and poured baking soda over the body as well as bragging about spraying his designer cologne on the body because of the smell. Zero remorse. He doesn't, he's not capable of that. He's not a remorseful person. He's not capable of doing that kind of thing. His, his brain is fried. And here's the interview with somebody who's experienced that scrambled egg brain of his. Hi, it's me, Aura, and this is this. This is what we're doing today. Is it an interview? Is it a talk show? So murder is something that I know a good bit about. <laughs> yeah? Having for close personal experiences with murder. You know, I just come from a family of serial killers. Honestly, just my dad. But, um, yeah, no, so I grew up, you know, dealing with some murders. How did Michael find you? So, um, <clears throat> I was on Twitter and I was getting a lot of, like, interactions with him tagged in it. And right. 
It was tagged from this this uh, Twitter account called the the Pew P U right P U. I think that's a C T. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck it was, and I was like, what the hell? And it was like I clicked it because it was Michael Alec, and I was like, this is the dude from Party Monster. Yeah, I was like, this is murderer Michael Alec talking about me apparently on his YouTube channel. So I watched it. He thought that I was Paris Hilton's brother. <laughs> And he was just like dogging me. And so I was just kind of like, so she does not know the facts at all. Oh, so he came for you on Twitter. Oh, he fully, no, on YouTube. On his, YouTube. In his little like talk show thing. Oh, PU. Yeah, PU. Like, if there's a whole fucking episode about me, yeah. it's on YouTube still. Yes. Interject it. All right. It's fun. Video clip here. Bravo, bravo, bravo. Bravo, bravo, bravo. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and I was just gagged. I was like, holy shit, because I knew who he was because Party Monster, and I was like, this murderer is, like, talking shit about me on his little talk show. Right. And then he DM'd me and was like, hey, I want to meet you, all this stuff. Um, I still have all these DMs on my Twitter. And I was just, like, shook. So I didn't respond to him because I right. didn't know what to say. And so then I told Derek... Derek is my hairstylist and best friend. I told him, and he was like, dude, he's like iconic. You should at least respond. Yeah. I mean, dude, you, nobody's done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it was a lot. And I was like, my dad also killed people, so. Right, it's not the most taboo subject to you. Right. Exactly. Yeah, and it was like, it put me in an interesting place mentally, because I was like, how can I be not okay with my dad being murderer, but be friends with this celebrity murderer? It's just, it was really weird. So uh, I finally did respond to him. And then he was like, let's meet. And I was like, I'm not in New York. I'm in like, you know, South Carolina at the time. Right. And please don't cut me to pieces. Right. And I was like, you know, big fan of your work. Blah, blah, blah. Right. And uh, party promoting was great. <laughs> I do think he's iconic. I truly do. Uh, he it, absolutely is. It's unfortunate that he killed somebody. But he's fucking nuts. But he is Mental absolutely illness. crazy. So then he gave me his number and I talked to him on the phone a couple times. It, it's like having a conversation with him is, is fun because mm. he's like he's just very eccentric and goofy and all over the place so that was fun it's pretty intense because I mean it all happened you know and so right, it's real that's what makes I it I didn't know this when I intense. saw it the first time and I didn't know it was real either until I learned that Michael Alec was a real person I was like oh same same I was like whoa these are all real yeah. people Bitch. Ow. Oh my god. Wow, this was great. Thank you for having me. Yes. I had so much fun. Yeah, absolutely. Talking about murder with you. Yellow. I just love murder. And um and drag. So like murder's a drag, mama. So yeah, Michael's fucking nuts. If you didn't already know or couldn't already tell. He then went to Macy's, remember the bodies in the bathtub covered in baking soda and Drano and a little bit of Calvin Klein, bought two big knives and began to dismember the body. He cut off the legs and arms, put them in a plastic bag, and threw them in the Hudson River. The following day, he cut up the torso, put it in a cork-lined box, got into a taxi cab, drove down to a bridge and threw that off into the river. But it was a cork-lined box and there was a tropical storm coming. So the current mixed with the fact that this box was not gonna sink, caused the box to wash down to Staten Island onto a beach, where once again, two children found the body. It's always two children that end up being traumatized because they find some wicked, wild shit. Those remains were found at the beach at Miller Field in Staten Island, and they were put into a morgue and marked as a John Doe. Meanwhile, we have Johnny and his father out 
literally searching the streets and scouring for answers about where his son and where his brother might be. They knew Angel was missing and nobody wanted to say anything about it. At one point, while his brother Johnny was down at the piers asking questions if anybody knew where he might be, somebody who he didn't recognize and never saw again came up to him and told him that there were some important people involved in his brother's disappearance and that he should leave it alone. They really thought that they could be that intimidating. Like, Johnny didn't have an overly active communication system with his brother and knew very little about his brother's life besides that he was very much involved in the nightlife scene in New York and that that was just kind of his job. Johnny plastered flyers all over the area offering a $4,000 reward for anybody who had information about his brother's disappearance. He even filed a missing persons report with the police but they didn't really give a fuck because it was a gay immigrant. Michael, on the other hand, was more fucked up than ever and admitting to people what he did to Angel in gruesome details, telling them why he did it, because he was a fake and they don't like fakes, they hate those, so they killed him. That's literally what he said. No, no remorse. Frank Owen of The Voice wrote an expose article highlighting all the rumors that he'd been hearing that famous club kid King Michael Alleg had murdered his roommate, dismembered him, and thrown him in the Hudson River. Michael had told a bunch of people this story and people were tell like, it was a rumor now. It couldn't be proved yet, but it was a rumor going around and it was now written in a publication. That was a good start because the attention gained from that is what led the police to finally start investigating Angel's disappearance. And by September of 1996, a woman had fished out the rest of Andre's remains from the Harlem River, turned it into police, and that's when they identified those remains as those of Andre Melendez. At that point, they knew that they had to find Michael Alec and question them, and that was sort of public knowledge, so Michael fled, and he went to New Jersey. But on December 5th, 1996, both Michael Alec and Robert Riggs were picked up and arrested in separate states and brought back to New York to be tried for their crimes. Both the men knew that they were completely fucked and that there was no way they were getting out of this. Uh, because they had admitted themselves to people that they did it. And being well-to-do white men, they were both offered plea deals for manslaughter on account that they were under drug-induced psychosis or something. For some reason, they were insane. Both of those men received a sentence of only 10 to 20 years in prison. And respectively, Robert Riggs was released in 2010 and Michael Alleg was released in 2014. You guys know what they're up to today. Stalking being insane on the internet, and they both genuinely believe in their minds that they're still in Limelight. In their minds, Limelight's still a thing. They're still party promoters. They're still famous. That's just a hiccup, a little speed bump. No, it's a murder, and you guys are both murderers, and that's not okay, and we're not ever gonna be okay with that. So you're done. We don't want you on YouTube. We don't care about your opinion. And if you do, and you feed into this sensationalizing of murders, you're part, one of the biggest parts of the problem. Because you're the reason that they think they have fans out here. And nobody's a fan of them. Nobody's a fan of what they did. And if you are, go to jail. That leaves Angel's family with no justice. He's gone and these men get to walk free. I can't imagine how frustrating and difficult it is to know that this man is famous and there was a movie making him even more famous about how he murdered your family. Like, it's disgusting. And anybody who glorifies him is equally as disgusting. Rest in power, 
Andre Angel Melendez. And on that note, it's time for a little transformation. Probably some glitter, definitely some lashes. Let's go. Voila, and that's the finished look for this week. Yes, ma'am, back to this beautiful wig by Vegas Van Dank, my drag mother. It's actually the best. I just always put wigs on after I put my nails on. It's a look. I enjoyed this week's looky-loo. I'm really glad that it's um, pretty, that I look pretty. I hope you learned who Andre was. He's not just Angel Melendez, he's also Andre Melendez. And he's a victim of one of the most brutal murders that we've ever seen be publicized and dramatized and glorified the way it was, and that's not fair. And Angel should get the same amount of respect that any other murder victim has got. Let me know if you liked the little interview this week if you want to see more of those, me interviewing some local queens who have ties or something to say about murder or about any of these specific cases that I do. If you want that, I'll gladly have more on. I had a blast. It was really fun. Uh, I'm glad I got to paint somebody else on camera. Not always just myself. You guys get a little extra. It's been a not great day. Um, yesterday, I lost my drag sister. She passed away really suddenly. And, you know, it's important to tell the people in your life that you love them often because you don't know how many, how many conversations you have left with them. Don't ever take the time that you have here for granted. It's short, it's unpredictable, and yeah. So I just wanna say, rest in peace, Lychee. You'll always be my big spooky sister. And I'm gonna miss you forever. Literally forever. I'll see you guys next week.